Tomorrow, I've I've been invited to share with a a group of pastors, Anglican pastors, a group called EFAC. Uh, It's called the, um, it stands for the Evangelical Fellowship of Anglican Thurgy. Thurgy. Clergy. Anglican Thurgy. Uh, And uh, and I've I've been asked to share about my story of um, becoming a praying pastor and a little bit of our story they're more interested in of of becoming a, a praying church. And um, I've decided that because my last name uh, is Carr, that the, the kind of title of my talk is, is The Car That Wouldn't Start. I feel, feel like it's got a bit of a good, good ring to it. Um, actually, I, I came across a, a true story recently about a missionary uh, called Herbert Jackson who was uh, on the mission field, was assigned a, a car that wouldn't start w- w- without uh, some kind of... Uh, push or assistance. And so um, he figured out different ways of trying to get this car started. So uh, sometimes he would ask his students to help uh, push the car, and and, and that's how he'd get it started. Uh, Other times he'd uh, make sure that he parked it on top of a hill so that uh, he could just sort of roll it down the hill and and then he'd be able to get it started that way. Or uh, other times uh, he, he he would actually just go to his meeting, he would leave his car running for the entire meeting, hoping that when uh, he got back after the meeting, the car was still there and, uh, and, then, and, and it was still on and he could just drive off in that way. And um, when, I, when I heard that story, I thought, wow, that's, that's quite, a, quite a picture of how I've been doing ministry for, for a long time in my life, how I've been doing ministry. And actually, it's, it's quite a good picture of how lots of people do life and how lots of people... Uh, do church and how many p- people do church uh, that, um, uh, that those of you who know my story will know that uh, after doing um, ministry for some time in this way and doing church for some time in this way, Kieran Carr crashed uh, and that happened in uh, 2015. Uh, you could say Kieran's car crashed, complete breakdown, uh, physical, mental, emotional uh, breakdown, still recovering today. Uh, Kieran's car crashed in, 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 um, in, in many ways because of this model of, of ministry, uh, the car that wouldn't start, and if you like, uh, the car that crashed. Uh, leading up to uh, that time in 2015, I came across this quote by uh, a well-known Christian author called Francis Schaeffer, who, who has this chapter um, in a book called No Little People called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. Uh, and this quote had been bugging me over these three years where I was heading towards this dark car crash. And, uh, and it, it, it went, goes like this. The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modern... This is 1971 or 79. Uh, or modernism, nor the threat of uh, communism or rationalism. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of the Spirit. And now I know why it, it stuck with me and got under my skin. Well, I, I want to say to you this morning that, that the book of Acts and the uh, reading that we're going to have this morning gives us an entirely different model of ministry than to the one I was working on. Uh, and you see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The, the Lord Jesus says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And so the model of ministry that I think you can see wrapped up in this verse goes like this. First comes the power, then comes the proclamation. First comes the waiting, then comes the witnessing. As I wrote that, I was thinking, is it any wonder then that the apostles in Acts chapter 6, when they say, no, 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 we can't get distracted by that, they they say in a particular order, they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. First comes the power, then comes the proclamation. First comes the waiting and then comes the witnessing. That's the model of ministry that we see in this verse. But as we go through the passage this morning, Acts um, 1, 1 to 11, I hope you'll see two things that if I, if I understood them properly, would have been such a help to me in the way that I was doing life and the way that I was doing ministry. And I, I hope to spare you some of the, the pain and actually um, invite you into some of the joy of this model of ministry. If, if by God's grace, you're able to Get this model that Jesus gives in the passage. And and so the first thing I want you to notice in verses 1 to 5 as we go through them is that the book of Acts is about the continuing ministry of Jesus. And then in verses 6 to 11, what I want you to see is that the book of Acts is about the coming of the kingdom of God. That's where we're going this morning. And and it starts with the continuing ministry of Jesus in verse 1. Have a a look. If you don't have your Bibles open, I encourage you to to grab one, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, where, where Luke, the writer, says in the first book, Theophilus, what was the first book? The Gospel of Luke. I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Now, I looked up about 10 different translations of this verse and multiple different Bible dictionaries, and and they um, all translate it a little bit differently that actually makes a lot of difference. Uh, What we we read here is that um, Luke says, my first book, the Gospel of Luke, was about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. But as I looked at... um, Literally, I just stopped after looking at 10 different translations as well as confirming it through multiple Bible dictionaries. It reads like this. that He says, my first book was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. It was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so if the Gospel of Luke is about all that Jesus began to do and teach, what's the book of Acts about by implication? Gospel of Luke is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And by implication, what he's saying is that the book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Uh, you'll see uh, in, in your reading, if you've got the Bible in front of you, that, that our Bibles say, and historically, um, and church fathers have called this the Acts of the Apostles. But a lot of people on reading have gone, well, that that actually downplays the role of the Holy Spirit. So, so someone say, no, we need to call this the, the acts of the Holy Spirit. But then, of course, if you look at verse 1, and, and, and Luke is from the very outset trying to set this up, that no, this is the, these are the continuing words of the Lord Jesus, then, then it kind of downplays the role of Jesus if we call them the acts of the Holy Spirit. So John Stott, as ever, comes up with a great solution. He says it should be called the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through the apostles. 
Now, I agree, that doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But it really gets to the point. It really gets to the point that the main actor in this story is who? Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. And, and, and then you've got two, uh, if you like, you, you've got two other actors. It's the, the works of Jesus by his spirit through the apostles. Uh, you can actually see this uh, theme further in verse 4. If you have a look where it says, while staying with them, that's Jesus ordered them. Yeah, Jesus is the commanding officer. He, he's not dead. He's alive. Uh, what, what did we hear in the Revelation uh, chapter 1? Um, I was dead, but now I am alive forever. He's the king of kings, the commanding officer, and now he's giving his disciples their marching orders. And what are their marching orders in verse 4? He says, don't leave Jerusalem, wait there for the promise of the Father. So this is the King Jesus, the main actor of the story, giving the marching orders to his disciples. And this is, gonna, this is setting us up for the entire story. But he says, wait there in Jerusalem, that's where they are, for the promise of the Father. Now, what's the promise of the Father? It's the Holy Spirit. Peter says that in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, when, when they're like, oh, they're drunk, look at them, and laughing at them. And he gets up and he says, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. That's the promise. This is hundreds of years ago, that, that God had promised the outpouring of the Spirit. It says, um, in the last day, says God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Uh, and so, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our passage comes up again and again and again. So have a, have a look with me at verse 2. It says, Jesus gave them, the disciples, instructions through the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 4, he talks about the promise of the Father. Verse 5, you will be baptized. That means drenched, immersed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 and verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But then the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Uh, they're so closely linked uh, that Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, he, he says the Lord, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, he, he says, is the Spirit. And then, and then he goes on in, in 2 Corinthians 3 where the Spirit, he calls him the Spirit of the Lord, and he's talking about Jesus. Of course, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he calls him the Spirit of Christ. But of course, of course, so so can you see I'm building the point? These are the continuing words and deeds of the Lord Jesus by his spirit. And and of course, Paul is just building on what Jesus says in John 14, verse 18, where he says, I will come to you. So we're going to see him leave, verse 9, if you look. He, he, when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So that's him leaving, but in John 14, verse 18, he says, I will come. How does he come? He comes through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the book of Acts 
shows us what that looks like. It shows us how the Lord Jesus builds his church. And so mighty is he, so powerful is he, and so capable is he of building his church that Luke finishes the, the book of Acts with a word that, that's, that's important. And the, you know what the final word of the book of Acts is? The final word of the book of Acts, it's one word in Greek, is unhindered. Uh, Romans, uh, Acts 28, verse uh, 30, 31. Paul is chained. He's, he's, he's under house arrest in Rome, which, by the way, is the ends of the earth as far as they were concerned. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And we're, he's in the ends of the earth in Rome, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, despite all the obstacles. If you read my musing, that, that there's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness all throughout the book of Acts, trying to oppose. What did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So the gates of hell, for example, the apostle Paul in chains, under house arrest in Rome, facing his execution, the gates of hell, And Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And that's what we see with the gospel of the kingdom. Though Paul is in chains, the gospel of the kingdom is unchained, unhindered, unstoppable. Jesus says, I will build my church. That's what this story is about. But how does he do it? How does he build his church? What are his main means for building the church. Well, I would sum it up our passage like this. He says to his disciples, I've got two things to do. I'm going to go up and ascend to my right hand, the, far, the right hand of the Father in glory. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pour my spirit out. And then he says, you've got two things to do. These are your marching orders. You need to wait for the Lord, verse 4, until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you then, verse 8, you need to witness for the Lord. How does, how does he build his church? As his people wait for him and witness for him. And so verse 6 leads us to the second big idea, and that leads us to the second big idea in this passage, and that is that the book of Acts is about the coming of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. Uh, this is a real kind of um, uh, uh, foundational question uh, that sets up the story, verse 6. They say to Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Excuse me here, I'm getting worked up. Uh, And so, um, uh, is this the time when you restore the the kingdom to Israel? And, um, and, And here's what's going on. They're still thinking the way that Peter was thinking in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And what did Peter do? Pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's uh, servant. I I want to posit to you that he wasn't aiming for his ear uh, and suggest that he might have slipped. Uh, But uh, that's that's, that's a side note. Um, They're saying to him, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel right now? It's in the hands of the Romans, the Roman occupiers who are oppressing us and abusing us. And so is now the time that you'll restore the kingdom to Israel. Uh, Jesus, it's payback time. 
They crucified you on a cross, the most heinous form of torture ever known to mankind, and you've come back to life. That's a pretty cool superpower. So can we go find some Romans? Lord, is now the time when you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? But of course, they've misunderstood the nature of the kingdom because it's not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Verse 8, but you will receive power. This is part of his answer to how God is going to restore the kingdom and how the kingdom comes. Uh, No, it's it's not like that, Um, but you will receive his how. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's a spiritual kingdom. And let's be very clear, when we talk spiritual, we're not talking about how we think of it in, in, in modern day terms, that it, he's talking about just the things that you can't see. No, spiritual is capital S, spirit, spirit of Christ. Uh, and so maybe if you hear someone talking about the spirit who is the third person of the Godhead as an it, rather than as a he, you could gently correct them that we're talking about the majesty and the eternal and infinite God, the spirit of Christ. And, and, and that's what we mean by spiritual. We're talking about the third person of the Godhead, who is the spirit of Christ. Not physical, spiritual. But also, he doesn't establish his kingdom by the sword, like Peter wanted to, but he establishes his kingdom by the spirit. And um, I, I just thought this was interesting background here, that in Luke eleven thirteen. 13... Um, talking about, you know, which of you fathers, um, though, when your son asks you for a fish, and, and he finishes 11.13, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And then a chapter later, in uh, Luke 12.32, he says, it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so Jesus says, he delights to give you the Spirit. He, it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. And one theologian, Gaffin, says this, bringing these two verses together points to a close correlation between the Holy Spirit and the kingdom that amounts to a virtual identification. That, the, that when he gives the spirit, when he gives the kingdom, we pray your kingdom come is virtually praying, pour out your spirit. And this makes sense because if you think about it, What does every kingdom need? Fundamentally, at the very least, what does every kingdom need? A king. Who's the king? Jesus. How does he come? By the Holy Spirit. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so uh, Jesus says, Our Father is pleased to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's pleased to give you the kingdom. And so the disciples think that this kingdom will be physical, but Jesus says, no, the kingdom is spiritual. And if we look uh, again at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when the King of Kings says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And what does he say? You will be my witnesses 
This is not like a, can you please be my witnesses? No, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so one thing that uh, is helpful to know about Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is that it's really a programmatic verse for the entire book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When does that happen? Chapter 2, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Here's a bit of an outline if you look at the top half of the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they are now, in Jerusalem. And basically, we see that they witness to Christ in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said they would in verses one to seven, chapters 1 to 7, and that's where we're focusing this series. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and so the gospel spreads out further to Judea and Samaria, the wider region. And then he says, that's chapters 8 to 12, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's through the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys um, through uh, chapters 13 to 28. And so when they receive power to be witnesses, it's like a spiritual tsunami of blessing that explodes out. Power, proclamation, the coming of the kingdom, spreading, and at the ends of the earth, it's still unhindered and without hindrance as the kingdom comes through the proclamation of the gospel. And so the kingdom is no longer national. They say, Do you, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And they, they're thinking of the, the, the kingdom as if it's national, but it's not national, it's universal, so that even despised Samaritans who turn their back on God back in the Old Testament can be part of the kingdom of God through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that even despised and unclean Gentiles through to the ends of the earth can be a part. This is not a national kingdom. This is a universal kingdom. Uh, that's why the artwork for our series uh, is uh, a globe, uh, because it's God's global gospel plan uh, that we're seeing unfold, uh, a beginning and the foundation being laid off in the book of Acts. But more importantly, the kingdom of God doesn't come through politics, but through proclamation. Uh, They're thinking in in, in different terms. They're they're thinking through uh, political terms that the kingdom will come, through military terms. And, and, And Jesus is saying, no, it comes through the proclamation of the kingdom, of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's how the kingdom comes. And the question for us this morning is if, that we're, if we're on board with his means for building the kingdom. Now, I, I hesitate to say this, but it's, it's, it's true. Uh, it's a little risky. Uh, but this is one reason why, um, even though I'm spending, and I am sincerely spending a lot of time thinking and praying about the voice to parliament, because, it's, in, because it's, it's really important, and it is a really important time for us. And I'm personally reading and praying and, 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 and agonising for, for, for our First Nations uh, people. Uh, but by far the most important thing I'm doing, I believe, on that front, is, is giving to support a ministry called Nungalinya College. Some of you may have heard of it. Uh, the Mackays were a part of ministering it. It's, it's a ministry that helps equip First Nations people with the good news of the gospel, to be the salt and the light of Jesus 
in, in their communities. Because this is the primary means that the kingdom comes. So I don't want to set these things up against each other, but I just want you to see that when they ask Jesus about the kingdom, he says, the way that the kingdom comes is you will receive power and then you will proclaim the, the kingdom. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, feel free to talk, talk to me um, uh, about that afterwards because it does take some nuancing. But that, that is clear and that is my conviction. But, and, and, and so because the kingdom comes primarily through the proclamation of the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is what we see when we get to the book of Acts that I just read. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. And you see this actually all throughout the book of Acts, that, that the kingdom comes through the proclamation of the kingdom. And that's what's so exciting about the fact that we've started the Alpha Course here on Wednesday night. And that we had almost 40 people here on Wednesday night because the kingdom comes through the proclamation of King Jesus. So, the story that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks and months is about the continuing ministry of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the early church. It's about the coming of the kingdom. And today we see the king who, has, who says, I am not dead, I am alive forever and ever. He's conquered Satan, sin and death through his death and resurrection. We see that king give the apostles their marching orders. And they're two things. Wait for the Lord and witness for the Lord. I want to take you back to the poor old missionary Herbert Jackson that I told you about at the start. He only lasted two years on the mission field until he got sick and had to leave and uh, there was a new missionary assigned to his post and, and they would get the same old car that Jackson had. And so Jackson was looking forward to telling him everything he'd learned about how to use the car. And, and the le- time for the lesson came and, and this new guy, this new kid on the block, waited patiently as he uh, listened to the lesson. And then uh, he looked under the hood. He, he found a loose wire, which he promptly connected He got into the car, he turned the ignition, and to the astonishment of Jackson, the car turned on. The power had been there the whole time. It was just that there'd been a loose connection. Jesus promises his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, he will give you power. Uh, the Greek word dunamis entered the English language when the Swedish, Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel, a namesake of the Nobel Prize, made his greatest discovery that led to his greatest fortune. He discovered a power stronger than anything the world had ever known. Uh, he asked one of his good friends who was a Greek scholar what the word for exclu- explosive power was in Greek. His friend answered, dunamis. And so Nobel said, well, I'm going to call my discovery by that name. And so he called his explosive power dynamite. Jesus says to his disciples, I want to give you a power stronger than anything the world has ever known. 
But you have to wait. You have to wait on him. Because as it says in Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And what do we find by the time of the end of the Acts 28? Exactly that. On eagles' wings, running and not growing weary, walking and not being faint. So the simple question for us is, how much time do you spend waiting on the Lord instead of rushing ahead in your own strength? Of course, we see what waiting looks like a few verses later in verse 14. Jesus says, wait, and then what do they do in verse 14? They were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. That's what they heard when they heard Jesus say, wait, constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And, and you might say, well, that was the apostles. This is Pentecost. This is a, a specific chapter in salvation history, and, and it's not for me. But, but, but no, Jesus in John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, how does he remain in us? The Spirit. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, nothing of eternal consequence is possible without the Spirit of Jesus with us. But the Spirit of God and the Word of God are more than enough to accomplish the work of God. For he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. So how are you going with your marching orders from Jesus? Waiting on the Lord, witnessing for the Lord. What would it look like for for more and more of us to take up our marching orders? Well, we don't have to wonder. It's, it's, it's very clear. What it would look like is that we would get to witness firsthand the continuing ministry of Jesus in our midst. Does that sound cool? I, I like the sound of that. And what else would it look like? It would look like the coming of the kingdom of God in power, far more than all we could ask or imagine as we wait on him, as we witness for him. Well, I think I've given us plenty uh, to pray about this morning, and so I actually want us to take some time uh, to to pray. You can pray on your own. You can pray in groups. I I don't want you to take too much time discussing just what the Spirit has stirred in you. I'm sorry if you're on your own. Sit there and pray or join someone else. And take some time praying, praying through these things. Now, these things up on the screen, they're just there as a guide. I, I hope a lot of you will just know what the Spirit's stirring in you and, and, and know what to pray. Uh, but uh, there are some things uh, you can say, uh, thank you, sorry, please. And I've just put very quickly, thank you for building your ch- that you're building your church. Sorry for going off in our own strength. Please help us to wait on you. Please help us to witness for you. So um, just turn to the person next to you, sit on your own. I'll give you two or three minutes uh, to let's pray for these things. Go for it.